0: chapter thirteen part one of the life of clara barton volume two by william barton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen part one clara barton at home and abroad strenuous were the years of miss barton's administration of the american red cross there was upon an average practically one disaster a year which called her organization into the field in some instances the active work of the red cross upon the ground lasted only a few weeks in other cases as in the matter of the south carolina sea islands it consumed almost a year the intervals between disasters were occupied by correspondence addresses articles for the press, and attendance to the many duties brought on by a widened acquaintance and a constantly growing interest in the work. There were years, too, in which Miss Barton was sometimes personally short of money. In no other period, as in this, do her diaries so clearly show the necessity which she felt for personal economy for the sake of the work. She declined the $4,000 salary which was suggested for her. She vetoed every proposal looking toward a government appropriation for her personal benefit or for the work of the Red Cross. If during this long period she ever thought of the Red Cross in terms of a possible financial advantage to herself, her diaries betray no hint of it if she ever thought of the possibility that congress might take care of her the innumerable letters which passed between her and the members of the two houses of congress afford no indication of it the adhesion of the united states to the treaty of geneva did however take her abroad a number of times once or more at government expense as one of the three official representatives of the united states at certain international congresses the appropriations to cover the expenses of a delegate were never very large generally two thousand dollars for the expense of three delegates in connection with one of these journeys an interesting correspondence developed in which one of the delegates exceeded in expenditure his none too ample allowance of less than seven hundred dollars he wrote a long letter explaining why it had been necessary for him to expend more and desired clara barton to approve his request for an increase this she declined to do either for herself or for either of the others for her simple tastes the appropriation was ample she lived within it and her associates had to do the same or make up the balance out of their own pockets miss barton had just returned from her arduous labor on behalf of the flood sufferers on the ohio and mississippi in the summer of eighteen eighty four when secretary of state frelinghuysen appointed her one of the three delegates to the international conference at geneva her associates were her friends judge joseph sheldon of connecticut and mr a s sullivan vice president of the american red cross miss barton was so wearied with her labors in connection with the flood sufferers that she hesitated about accepting her appointment to her great joy and to that of dr hubble who accompanied her the voyage proved an excellent tonic there was not an unpleasant day and miss barton was not ill an hour and did not miss a meal toward the close of the voyage she was called upon to address the passengers who greeted her with great interest and listened to her with marked and reverent attention she reached liverpool on august twenty sixth eighteen eighty four and had a happy and prosperous journey to geneva where the congress convened in december 400 distinguished delegates and representatives of the signatory powers to the treaty assembled at Geneva. There were titled rulers, distinguished representatives of nobility, eminent surgeons, noted scientists, and philanthropists whose names were known around the world. It is not too much to say that Clara Barton was the most noted delegate to that convention, and the recipient of its highest honors. There was not one among the 400 delegates who did not know that it was she who brought the United States, last of all the great nations, to occupy a place in that gathering. Popular interest centered about her. She was pointed out and sought out as the most celebrated delegate to the Congress not all of her associates were strangers to her chief among the royal persons present to claim the honor of her acquaintance and introduce her as their friend were the grand duke of baden the grand duchess and her imperial father the emperor of germany it was the direct influence of miss barton which caused the introduction of what is known as the america amendment this amendment was to the effect that the red cross society engage in time of peace in humanitarian work analogous to the duties devolving upon them in periods of war such as taking care of the sick and rendering relief in extraordinary calamities where as in war prompt and organized relief is demanded the adoption of this resolution was a high compliment to clara barton she brought to the congress not only the prestige of america's accession to the treaty but a new and notable enlargement of the sphere of red cross activity which she had invented tested and found practicable in america and worthy of recommendation to all the world At Geneva she was joined by Antoinette Margot, whom she sent for as a companion and interpreter. For though Clara Barton was fairly at home in conversation in French, she was glad of assistance at times. Antoinette had written her in the years of their separation. Her own life had been none too happy, and she had passed through a religious crisis that led her though born a Protestant, into the Roman Catholic Church, and later into a cloister. Even this change she credited to Clara Barton. This amused Clara, but Antoinette said that but for Clara she would have remained a crushed-down little unhappy baby in my father's house. Clara had given her courage and strength to face great questions and decide them. "'Dear, dear Miss Barton,' she wrote, "'never, never I shall forget what I owe to you. "'I owe you even my perfect actual happiness "'of being a Catholic, "'for without your strong teaching "'and your nerving of my heart, "'I could never have dared "'to take the step of following my convictions "'when I had convictions to follow.'" Clara's comment was, poor simple child it is all for the best i think hers is one of those unsteady unbalanced minds that must be controlled she has no mastery over herself and nothing but a priest and a confessional can make her happy antoinette poured out her impulsive love in extravagant protestations of devotion she wanted to see miss barton to kiss the feet of the woman who had done so much for her and who stood in the mind of antoinette as the realization of the noblest ideal of womanhood we owe to this impulsive girl who later entered a convent a really fine description of clara barton as she stood among the representatives of all the nations that were joined in the league of the red cross at geneva the government of the United States has done itself no greater credit than in selecting Clara Barton to represent it among the nations abroad. During the last week, I have looked on as she has sat day by day in one of the greatest and grandest assemblies of men that could be gathered, men representing the highest rank among the civilized nations of the earth. Men of thought, of wisdom, of power, called together from all over the world to deliberate on great questions of nautical import, military power, the neutrality of nations, humanity in war, wisdom in peace. In the midst of this assembly of gray-haired men, glittering with military decorations, with national honors, one and conferred sat this one woman calm thoughtful self-possessed recognized and acknowledged as possessing every right and privilege belonging to any member of the conference not merely permitted to be there but there by the sovereign right of nations not merely allowed to sit there by the courtesy due to a lady but by the right due to a nation's representative. Her vote not merely accepted as a matter of form, but expected and watched for. Grave questions referred to her as the representative of a great nation, and all deference paid to her judgment. Her demeanor so unobtrusive, her actions so wise, that it could not otherwise than reflect merited credit, upon her and her country but the crowning recognition of her philanthropic labors at home and abroad was given when one of the italian delegates springing upon the platform proposed to the assemblage to vote by acclamation that mademoiselle barton bien merite de l'humanite even miss barton was moved from her usual composure by the thunders of applause i do not know whether you in america are familiar with the peculiar significance of that phrase it is an expression of the highest approbation honor and esteem that the french language can convey it is probable that miss barton is the first woman in the world who has ever received such a tribute after her return from geneva miss barton made a journey to california in eighteen eighty six returning by way of charleston south carolina where she had a share in the relief of that city after the earthquake in september eighteen eighty seven occurred another international congress of the red cross this was held in germany at karlsruhe the ducal capital of alsace and home of the grand duchess louise here she met her friends the grand duke and duchess of baden and the emperor of germany and besides these the empress augusta bismarck and von Moltke, her honors here were scarcely less brilliant than they had been at geneva and her personal joys were more for she was near the scenes of her labors in the franco-prussian war there she was the guest of royalty crowned heads bowed respectfully to her from baden-baden she wrote a letter home just after the close of the congress Baden Baden, Germany, october twenty eighth, eighteen eighty seven. The International Red Cross Conference has closed. Most of the delegates have left Karlsruhe, unless, like ourselves, remaining for after work. The Grand Duke and Grand Duchess, with their court, have retired to Baden Baden for the customary birthday festivities of her Majesty the Empress and the emperor and his suite would, as also customary, make his yearly visit in honor of the occasion, thus making that lovely and historic old town for the moment the center of interest for the empire. Dr. H. and myself were at breakfast when the hotel porter laid a telegraphic dispatch on my plate. It will be remembered at least by personal friends, that three years ago, while in attendance at a similar international conference, the honoured pleasure of a meeting with His Majesty the Emperor of Germany had been given me. This dispatch informed me that like an honour again awaited my presence in Baden-Baden. Trunks were packed, adieu's made." and the midday train of the following day took us in time for the appointed hour whoever has visited the interior of the new castle the baden-baden palace of the grand duke and been shown through its tasteful apartments rich in elegance tradition and history will require no further reminder of the place where the interview would be given this was as well the birthday of the crown prince and in tender paternal sympathy for the painful affliction resting upon a life so treasured and for the great anxiety of the german people his majesty the emperor would pass a portion of the day with the beloved daughter and sister the grand duchess at the castle and in honouring memory of the occasion its halls were thronged with visitors who came to manifest both respect and sympathy. At half-past one o'clock we were ushered in at the great castle doors by their attendants in livery of scarlet and gold, the national colors of Baden. Our damp wraps removed, for it was a pouring rain, and after a half-hour sitting by a cheerful fire, among pictures which quite called one out of personal consciousness we were escorted to the grand reception and drawing-room to the centre of a magnificent apartment with no occupant but ourselves by another door one saw the emperor surrounded by guests who paid formal respects scores of visitors with coachmen in richest livery had entered while we waited and registered titled names on the open pages. At length his majesty turned from the group about him, and taking the arm of the grand duchess, entered our apartment. It was difficult to realize all the ninety years as he stepped toward us with even and steady, if no longer elastic, tread. He approached with cordially extended hand, and in his excellent french expressed satisfaction for the meeting in the name of humanity he was glad to meet and welcome those who labored for it in recalling the earlier days of our acquaintance her royal highness the grand duchess alluded tenderly to the winter in Strasbourg of seventy and seventy one which I had passed among its poor and wounded people after the siege, and selecting two from a cluster of decorations which I had worn in honor of the present occasion, drew the attention of the emperor to them. The one he knew, it was his own, presented upon his seventy-fifth birthday, the other he had never seen. It was the beautiful decoration of the German Waffengenossen, the warrior brothers in arms of Milwaukee. It was puzzlingly familiar, and yet it was not familiar. There was again the Iron Cross of Germany, but it was on the American shield. The American eagle surmounting the arms for defense, and the colors of Germany... The red, white, and black of the empire, uniting the two. His Majesty gazed upon the expressive emblem, which, with no words, said so much, and turned inquiringly to the Grand Duchess, as if to say, Does my daughter understand this? The explanation was made that it was from His Majesty's own soldiers who after the German-Franco war had gone to the United States and become citizens. And this device was designed to express that, as by its shield they were American citizens, and true to the land of their adoption, so by its iron cross they were still German, and by the colors of the native land for which every man had offered his life and risked it they bound the old home to the new and by the american eagle and arms surmounting all they were ready to offer their lives again if need be in defense of either land the smile of the grand old emperor as he listened had in it the well done of the benignant father to a dutiful and successful son "'And they make good citizens?' he would ask. "'The best that could be desired,' I said. "'Industrious, honest, and prosperous. "'And, sire, they are still yours in heart, "'still true to the fatherland and its emperor.' "'I am glad to hear this. "'They were good soldiers, and, thank God, true men everywhere,' "'was the earnest and royal response.' his majesty continued speaking of america its growth its progress its advancement in science and humanity its adoption and work of the red cross which meant so much for mankind and when assured that its people revered and loved the emperor of germany that his life was precious to them and that thousands of prayers went up for him and that distant land he had never seen the touching and characteristic response betrayed the first tremor of the voice the ear had caught in its kindly tones god be praised for this for it is all from him i am only his of myself i am nothing he made us what we are god is over all we stood with bowed heads while those slowly spoken earnest holy words from that most revered of earthly monarchs fell upon us like a benediction at length his majesty gave a hand to both dr h and myself in a parting adieu and walked a few steps away when turning back and again extending a hand said in french it is probably the last time and in pleasant english goodbye and again taking the arm of the grand duchess walked from the room leaving his highness the grand duke one of the kindest and noblest types of manhood to say the last words and close the interview one of the most impressive and memorable of a lifetime in another letter she told of her parting with the imperial party as follows baden-baden october twenty fourth eighteen eighty seven i do not know if i have written since coming here or if my last was from Karlsruhe. we were here for the baden season we were invited by the duke and duchess to spend a few weeks at baden-baden and of course all the court proper would come the empress came also and the emperor they will be here till next friday when she goes to berlin the crown prince's health is very poor the emperor is better than ever bright and cheerful like a young man we went the other evening to see him take the train for berlin the station reserve rooms were like a drawing-room and all the court and royal persons were in them to wait the coming of the emperor and the town the emperor shook hands with all saying good-bye made pretty gifts to some special persons then entered the royal train to ride all night the day before yesterday the empress sent for me to come to her i spent a most delightful hour She had a great deal to say and made me a lovely parting gift of a ruby brooch. She insisted that we should meet again, that I should come to Europe again and she should see me. In the p.m. the grand duchess sent for us to go to her and we went and spent two lovely hours. She is as charming as ever. Then next evening, last evening, she sent for us to come to dine. We went and had a beautiful time. We are to go again tomorrow for a visit. After the end of this week, we go to Strasbourg to spend a little time. Shall most likely go to Berlin and back to Strasbourg and down the French side of the Rhine to Basel, Bern, Geneva, Paris, London, Liverpool, and then we shall be on our direct way home. But it is some little time yet before we can go home. From her journey to attend that International Congress at Karlsruhe, she returned in January 1888 and was quickly called away to Mount Vernon, Illinois, to care for the sufferers from the tornado when she returned from this campaign she went on a short tour delivering addresses before influential bodies she spoke in montclair new jersey addressing a state conference of congregational churches she then delivered a lecture in philadelphia and was received with every consideration and honor then she went home to washington and did her washing this combination of her work as a world leader and a woman concerned with domestic affairs is contained in two letters to mrs stafford dated may fourth and may eighth eighteen eighty eight dearest mamie i had intended to write you just a line on the train to and from philadelphia but one was in the night the other so full of other things and the trip so short I did not get to it. I can't think it was a week ago, but so it seems. The first day I met the Society on its annual meeting and spoke to them a little. I attended a lunch party before the meeting and a reception after the opera at the elegant residence of Dr. Blank, President of the Philadelphia Red Cross. That made four things after twelve o'clock the next day we had informal meetings with officers of the society until two o'clock p m then attended a lecture given in the regular course of the red cross society then i gave a lecture then home to dress for the reception to commence at eight this was given in union league hall very large with a band of music the dignitaries of the city attended in bodies the physicians the clergymen the lawyers the judges the military army and navy in uniform i received and shook hands with all they left after eleven it was a splendid reception there was still a meeting at the hotel the colonnade after our return so we are only in bed by two o'clock next morning got a hasty breakfast and hastened to the nine o'clock train for home found a large mail and i was very sleepy i did sleep a day or two mainly and that is what makes the week seem so short i think then just think what a washing there was on hand had never had time to have a full wash done since our return from Mount Vernon. The woman's council came directly on that, and an address to write for it, then the conference of churches at Montclair, and another address to write, then Philadelphia, and another address to write, with all that came between. The wash went to the wall till this week, When it was taken up in its turn and put through in one day, and all ironed yesterday, the clothes put away this very minute, and I haven't left the warehouse yet, but am just dropped down at the table in front of the window, near the store, Gabby will know all about it, while Alfred brings compost from the stable alongside, ready to make up some flower beds, etc., and i direct him from the window as i scribble to lose no time it is just as lovely as it can be tell gabby we have moved the rose bushes all down to the front of the yard and they didn't mind it a bit and went right on putting out buds and he will appreciate how much better chance we had with a washing of twenty sheets thirty pillow slips and other things in proportion and he knows how quickly and easily it all went out of the way and no one got much tired and not any sick i haven't time for more than a word we are making out our foreign conference accounts for the government and i have the report to make out directly and a bill to draw up for congress this next week and a host of correspondents and we are having alfred make up our garden in front of the warehouse and a pretty little plot it is too i found time one night by moonlight to plant lettuce and pepper grass and radishes and in two days they come up and are green and pretty yesterday we set out two dozen tomato plants a foot high and all of our dozen grapevines are growing splendid varieties AND WHEN ALFRED MAKES UP THE FLOWER-BEDS TODAY, WE SHALL FIND TIME TO PLANT ALL THE SEEDS I HAVE. I HAVE NO BULBS TO SET, BUT I HAVE A DOZEN NICE HOLLYHOCKS, FIFTEEN INCHES HIGH, AND ALL THE ROSE-BUSHES AND fleur de lis IN BLOOM AND BUD. I CAN'T GET TIME TO HUNT OVER THE HOUSE FOR THE LITTLE SEEDS WE WANT TO PLANT. I HAVE NICE SEEDS FOR KITCHEN-GARDEN THINGS FROM DANSVILLE but can't remember where to look for them i want a pinch of caraway seed and twelve great sage roots and i want some catnip seed for tommy there is not a stalk of catnip anywhere about and i can't get any seed have you some in your catnip herb bag i like saffron and red balm such as julian raises i can get plenty of elegant plants but the old, old things are hard to find, and I have not time to look, but should so like to stick a few out in my nice beds. So here is a place for small contributions. I do hope Johnny is better. Please give him all the love I can send, and try all of you to keep well. We are well. The Saturday work is all done up. "'and everything as lovely as spring can make it. "'The great council of women is now over,' she writes a little later. "'The meetings are ended, the people are mainly leaving the city, "'and this hour my house has had its last visitor. "'Every day till now my space and my table has been filled to the utmost, "'and in addition to my full part in the council,' its meeting, committees, and speeches. The next morning, yesterday, I had to meet a Senate committee at the Capitol and address them at ten o'clock. Then I go with Mrs. General Logan and others to the War Department to manage business there. And now it is eight-thirty the next morning, and at ten I must be at the War Department with another committee." End of chapter 13, part 1